Welcome to Prima's 2020 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Dr. Teresa Bartlett will discuss managing infectious disease risk. Dr. Bartlett is the Senior Medical Officer at Sedgwick. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Teresa. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So first off, can you share with us the facts concerning quarantine and isolation? Great question. Thanks for asking me that. First, it's important to know that quarantine because you've been exposed is different than quarantine if you have COVID-19. So let's start with if you've been exposed to the virus, but you're not positive, you you don't have a positive test, but you've definitely been exposed to someone who does, you are on a quarantine for 14 days from the date you were exposed. Now, if you live with that person and you can't avoid ongoing contact with them, your quarantine continues for 14 days from when their isolation ends. People don't understand that. So it can be 24, 30 days, depending on what happens with you. And it's important for public health reasons that people understand that. Now, if you have the virus, you are under quarantine and isolation for 10 days from the date that your symptoms first began. So you count that date and it's the exact time. So if your symptoms started at four in the afternoon, your quarantine will end 10 days later at four in the afternoon. However, there are a couple of caveats that you have to be aware of. You have to be symptom-free for 24 hours before you can avoid isolation and resume normal activity and you can't need medication any longer to support your symptoms for at least 24 hours. So ideally, a lot of people are having minor symptoms and maybe only two or three days they feel ill. Then that means, you know, at 4 p.m. on the 10th day, they are all good to go. So if you're following, you know, if you were exposed to somebody like that, your quarantine continues if you live with them for 14 days from the moment their isolation ends, right? And the reason for that is if you look at all the literature, it says that you can develop symptoms for up to 14 days from the last time that you've been exposed to somebody who was positive. And this can be a very complicating factor. You can isolate within your home if you can avoid that and someone can be in one room and use one bathroom, then, you know, it's all good. But if you can't avoid that ongoing contact, then your quarantine continues. So I think that's really important for people to understand. What is the latest on vaccine development? Interestingly enough, there are over 900 companies racing to develop a vaccine. And we heard in the press a couple of days ago that of the 
six that are getting very close in their phase two and three clinical trials, Binotech Pfizer has emerged saying that they have a vaccine that is 90% effective at killing the virus. Things to know about this. The best guess is that if they get really quick approval by the FDA, it probably will not be out in the market available to the public till March timeframe, 2021. But interesting things about this vaccine, it has to be shipped and stored at negative 80 degrees Celsius. That is something that is unheard of. That presents a real logistical issue. And if you look at the research the company has done, Pfizer, they've developed a process for shipping these whereby they're using dry ice to keep it at this negative 80 degrees. And they have GPS trackers on them in case anything goes wrong. I know they've been working really closely with FedEx and other companies so that there is a supply chain distribution. But think about the way that we normally get vaccines, right? You go to the local pharmacy, you may go to the hospital, you may go to your doctor's office. Not many of those locations have a place where they can store a vaccine at negative 80 degrees Celsius. So this will be a challenge if we consider where can people go and get the vaccine. There will be vaccine distribution centers. And the other thing about this vaccine is it must be administered within 24 hours of thawing. So it's not something that can stay on the shelf and be stable for 30 days until you use all the doses. So it will be very important that these things are tightly scheduled and that people are lined up and ready to get these vaccines. The other thing about it is it's at least a two-dose vaccine. You have to get it at least three weeks apart. We get one and then wait three weeks and get another. So this is not a simple vaccine to administer to the general public. And what we're being told is that first responders, especially those in the public sector, like the Prima audience here, will be first in line, as well as healthcare workers and elderly people, but 90% effective. So let's see what happens. We know that Moderna and Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca are all also in the fight trying to arrive at, at these vaccines. So who knows? Hopefully someone will even arrive at something that might be more shelf-stable and easily transported. Can you tell us about some of the latest clinical research? Everyone's aware of what's going on with COVID-19, but I think I'll just give you some of the latest things that we've kind of heard that I think will be interesting. First of all, it's important to know that the CDC recently, a few weeks ago, changed 
their definition of what close contact was. It used to be that if you were within six feet of someone for 15 or more minutes, then you were considered exposed and had to quarantine. And now it's that you're within six feet of a person who is infected for accumulation of 15 minutes or more in a 24-hour period. So this could be five minutes now, five minutes later, five minutes later after that. It makes a big difference because it has increased the amount of exposures that people have. And it really is also saying that it really doesn't matter if you're wearing a mask or not. If you're exposed to somebody positive for greater than 15 minutes, and closer than six foot, then you are under quarantine. Of course, we recommend the masks, and I I think that's where I'll move next. There was a study that was done by Duke University on the effectiveness of masks. And of course, they said, oh my gosh, the surgical masks and the N95 masks are the best at blocking the virus and protecting people. However, it was very interesting that they concluded that the bandanas and the buff type that you pull up around your neck and over your nose and mouth are not effective. And in fact, actually, when you breathe through that, if you were to cough or sneeze, it causes the particles to become even smaller and can spread even further. So it does matter what kind of mask people are wearing. And masks are the most effective. Wearing a mask and washing your hands are the most effective way to fight this virus. Other things to think about is that the virus can be detected in air for up to three hours after someone coughs or sneezes. It can be found on copper for up to four hours, cardboard, 24 hours, and plastic and stainless steel, two to three days. So we need to be mindful of that. And it's a good reminder that you can't overwash your hands. Washing your hands and trying not to touch your face, your eyes, is the most important thing combined with a mask that you can do. So I think that really are maybe the most interesting aspects of this virus. Are there long-term consequences related to COVID-19? There certainly are a lot of long-term consequences. I think the short answer is we don't know. But we're beginning to see in the research that, for example, there was a small study done in Germany among college athletes, all healthy, no one had any symptoms, and they found a good portion of that population that were actually positive for COVID-19. They followed them over a 90-day period and tested them and found that even though they were asymptomatic positive, those individuals had some signs of cardiomyopathy, which is an inflammation in the heart. We don't know what we don't know about this virus. 
we know that it has a liking for A and B blood type and not so much O blood type. We know that it causes a massive inflammatory response in the body in some people and can cause blood clots and loss of limbs and heart and lung issues. And that's the thing. We just don't know how long will this last and what are some of the consequences. We also have seen dementia erupt in certain individuals where suddenly they don't know their name or where they are and they get to the emergency room and and we think we're dealing with a dementia situation and turns out they have COVID-19. So I think it's important that while so many people will say, oh, it's minor, oh, it was a little cough, a small fever, some body aches, the sequela, the aftermath of what might happen to your heart and your lungs and your blood vessels is very important to be mindful of. So, you know, that commingled with there definitely will be some mental health aspects of COVID-19. We're seeing those that were really the most sick with it and maybe in intensive care and in isolation, they are coming out with what we're calling post-intensive care syndromes where they're having issues with concentration and sleep and pain and weakness and even PTSD. And also there's a stigma associated with COVID-19 and a guilt. If you think about the fact that maybe you had dinner with your friend and your friend didn't know it, but the day before they were exposed to someone who's positive, now they're positive and they've exposed you. And people are having to miss work. They're having to lose money. They're having job loss and event loss and can't attend a birthday party or, you know, be with their elderly parents. There's such a downstream effect and this guilt and stigma around it that, again, I emphasize the mask wearing and the hand washing is so important. Do you believe there's an emotional and well-being impact related to the virus? There is definitely an emotional and well-being impact. When you think about the potential for post-traumatic stress disorder, for the isolation that has occurred when people have it and they are isolated in their home, and maybe they already had a mental health disorder, maybe they had a little bit of depression or anxiety, this just makes it worse. You know, we've seen that liquor sales have increased 24 to 60%, depending on where you live in the country. We've seen that people are afraid of going out. They're avoiding getting care because of that fear and maybe even going off their regular medication. I think that this emotional impact will be something that we'll be talking about for years to come. What would be the best advice you can give public risk managers with regards to addressing the virus? My best advice is stand by for the vaccine and be willing and open to 
get the vaccine when it becomes available. Make sure that you are wearing your personal protective equipment. Make sure that you're wearing the masks and the goggles and the gloves. And make sure that you are protecting yourselves and your families. And by following policies and making sure that we're not getting a little bit lax about our personal protective equipment and making sure that everyone has a policy and they're following it and they have the proper training that they need for you. Because prevention in this case is the very best way to fight this virus. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.